We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, join our Facebook group at Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can also follow me on Twitter at LJ Hybe. This week's guest is Ian Moist. Ian has been a sales leader for over 25 years and focused on the cloud computing industry for the past 13. Now serving as EMEA sales director for cloud telephony vendor Natterbox, he sits on a non-exec. He he sits as a non-exec on a number of industry bodies and firms, and is a social influencer for a growing number of global brands such as Oracle, SAP, and Sage. He is a recognized keynote speaker and blogger on cloud, social selling, and personal branding. Ian, welcome to the show. Laurie, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm excited for this conversation because I love um, sales and social media and personal branding. There's basically all the things that I love talking about um, seem to be in your bucket as well. Great. So as a sales leader, what's the landscape of sales looking like right now? How is it changing? So I think it's already changed and it will continue to change. And I think the reason for that is we've all changed ourselves, right? So when I have an audience in front of me, I always challenge to, you know, let's say a few hundred salespeople, forget yourself as a salespeople, think of you as an individual, the way you buy, the way you make decisions We now live in a world that's different. And it's different because of mobile smart devices, the internet, the World Wide Web, rather than the internet, the the true definition, social media. So if we're going to see a movie, you might look it up on IMDb, see it's got 15,000 reviews, an average of two stars, and decide to see something else. Even though the people, the peer reviews, you don't know who those people are, but you're taking an aggregate opinion. You may be maybe the favorite film you've ever seen. Um, and we all do it on Amazon, right? Or, or apps on your phone, which are low cost, but you look at the star rating and you make a judgment. So our behavior as a buyer has inherently changed and it's changed in B2B as well, right? We, we, we've got more information available to us. As a salesperson, you no longer meet the prospective customer as many years ago you would, and they would say, yeah, t- 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 tell me about you, Ian, and, and your company. I don't, you know, I've heard the name before, but I don't really know a lot. Tell, tell me. They know they can research in seconds what you say about yourself, what the world says about you, your social profile, you as an individual, you as a company. So, you know, that's changed how people engage with us. It's made it more difficult to get the first conversation because everyone's inundated. Everyone's incredibly busy and is inundated with multi-channel communications coming in. We all in our daily lives have text messages, emails, LinkedIn messages, WhatsApp messages, etc. So we filter. So when we see a call coming in, how many of us look at the phone, just glance at the number, go, I don't know who that is, I'll let it go to voicemail. 
we all have a personal secretary 24-7, right, uh, on any medium to shield ourselves from a conversation we don't know we want yet. So from a sales perspective, it, the game's changed, and it's changed years ago, and it continues to change both because of the environment we live in and because of millennials and Zeds having grown up in that environment. Yeah, no, I, it's, there's so much truth to that. And I, we see it every day. And like you said, it's, you know, how are, are we making these buying decisions ourselves? We really need to be aware that our target customers and clients are functioning the same way. Yep, absolutely. All right, Ian, so you're um, an advocate of social selling. What is it and how do you use it as a sales leader? So I think social selling flows nicely on from, from the first question and answer. Um, and I think the name itself is a misnomer because I speak when I speak to a lot of people, they go, well, that wouldn't fit me. Our product or service, well, you couldn't sell that over the internet. You couldn't sell it over social, certainly. And social selling isn't about selling o- over social. Social selling should be called something like um, how to use social media to get a first engagement conversation open that you turn into a real world conversation and then move on to use all your normal selling skills. But <laughs> how, how do you package it, right? So social selling is a nice term it's come in with that gets misunderstood. And it really fits in this whole world where the, the biodynamic has changed. How do you get that conversation? And, and I see, and I'm sure you and your listeners see day in, day out, we've seen the emails where you get an email which is totally cold. Why don't you buy this? I want to talk to you. What I've now started to see the behavior of is you get an email saying, I, I want to make sure you didn't miss my last email. Have you read it? Um, it's below again for you. I want to move my email to the top of your email. How many of those do I need to get before now I'm filtering you out even more so? And now that's moved to, to LinkedIn. Often we'll, we'll see a LinkedIn connection where it, I, I, I value you, Ian. I, I see you've written this blog or I see you've done this. I, I value you as a connection and you may accept it. And the next second you're waiting for it you get an email where oh now you've connected to me you obviously want me to sell to you so here's my sales pitch that is not social selling that is simply moving a process that you've been trying to do on phone or email into linkedin social selling is about finding a way to engage authentically with a potential customer or buyer that turns that into a real world conversation. It is not a quick fix. It does not replace, I can't get you on the phone, so I'll quickly do it this way and it'll it'll shortcut the process. Social selling is a methodology. It complements normal selling skills, does not replace. And if you can pick up the phone and talk to a prospect, do it. If you can get to someone to have a conversation the quicker way, absolutely do it. But where you can't, this gives you an option to run in parallel. So it's a sales nurturing methodology to try and get engagement. And, and I've done this time and time again to get into senior uh, um, uh, contacts at organizations, but also to make valued contacts around the world. So, for example, I'm now connected with many best-selling book authors in the sales arena and have met them personally, not because I reached out with, I'd like to connect with you, and, and when are you over here so I can meet? Because I liked their content. I maybe added a comment. I posted a content of myself to comment against theirs. I, I saw you write that article. I wrote this one. I thought I'd, it, it sort of contradicts or it challenges yours or it comp- whatever. So slowly, they started to follow me on social. Slowly, they saw my content. And I've had several where they've reached out to me 
followed me, eh? So I, I didn't ask them to. And then reach out, Ian, Ian, I'm in the UK in a few months. We seem to, it feels like we know each other with all the engagement we've had. You're not around to meet, are you? Catch a coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's naturally progressed into a real world conversation and meeting. That's the what the beauty of social selling, and to complement and parallel your traditional methodology and sales skills. Yeah, I love that. And I think that it's important to say that it complements it. And that it doesn't happen overnight. It's not a quick fix. It takes time to nurture these relationships. And it's in in addition to the other activities that you're doing. Yeah, and importantly, it's not an excuse. And and this, I think, worries sales leaders sometimes that I'm going to have my whole sales team playing around on social media and not selling. Mm -hmm. It blends with your – if you've got a professional sales uh, person, it blends into the skills they've got. It has an it has its place, an appropriate place. It isn't just LinkedIn Navigator, as a lot of people think. It is using the appropriate. So I'll often look at LinkedIn. Great, there's a quick profile on the person. But the next first step I have is: Do they have a Twitter account? What do they share? What clues does it give me about their persona? Are they on Twitter? If they're not, fine. But if but if you haven't looked. And if they're sharing lots of content on there about digital transformation or about how to architect this, whatever the business you're in, it gives you a clue as to that person's interest and if there's any common ground between you and them and your agendas. Yeah, most definitely. So let's shift slightly to personal branding. Um, I know that this is a topic that you speak often about as well. What can you share with our listeners about what exactly this is and why is it important? Well, it really flows flowing nice, I guess. So social selling, you've got to think, if you're on social media and you're going to try and contact or engage or anything with anyone, people are going to look back. And the number of times I might even just look at someone's profile, I'm sure you see this, and then they view you back. So personal brand isn't some illustrious thing about you need to be a celebrity. It isn't something your company's responsible for in terms of branding of a, you know, a Pepsi Cola or you know, some big logo out there. It's, it's it's pretty simplistic. It's about how you represent yourself, how are you viewed online? If someone searches your name, what will they find and what will the impression give? So, you know, too often I see people with, with the simplest one and many articles on this all over the place. It, you know, your picture you choose paints a thousand thousand words, and that's the first impression. So it used to be in a sales engagement, if you're going to meet customers, you would suit and boot, you'd shine your shoes, you know, you dress appropriately, and your first impression, firm handshake, all that stuff that you get taught in sales. Today's world, often the first impression is digital. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to meet someone, it takes them five seconds to put your name in, particularly on LinkedIn, and just have a look. To put your name in and see what comes up in Google, and to take an impression of what they see. And you need to be cognizant of that. Don't, you know, too many people think, well, if they look, they shouldn't be looking. Well, you've posted things on social media. You have your Facebook or Instagram or whatever profile. You've chosen to leave it public, if that's the case. In which case, if someone wants to look, they will. And particularly if you're going to job interviews, that's your personal brand, right? People Mm -hmm. make a judgment. and particularly recruiters and human resources will certainly take a look because you're going to represent their brand as a company in some way, shape or form. 
and they'll check you out. And, and the, the internet and the world we live in today has made it incredibly easy to do so. You don't have to go and do extensive checks. You can check in three seconds on Google and see what comes up with this individual's name and you make judgments. And whether you as an individual believe it's fair or those judgments are correct or incorrect or the perceptions they draw, it gets made. It's human nature and they're micro decisions that get made. The same as if you see someone, and I often show when I'm training on this, here's two pictures. There's a very professional looking businesswoman and there's a scruffy guy, but his ties disheveled, he's got loads of paper that's all mixed up. He just looks disorganized. First impression, who do you trust? Hands, boom, boom. And they all go for the one that looks organized and professional. Now, and the point I make is, if you were employing one of those two to be your legal counsel or whatever it's for, you're making a judgment based on uh, your your visibility, right? And that's not necessarily a correct one, but that's how we behave. Yeah. And it's not right, but it's what happens. So think about your social profile. Your brand is how you look online. You have control of that to the majority. And it's not complex. It's not, You can do it for free. You can spend a few pounds, and I mean a few pounds or dollars, and there's some tips around that, to scientifically and to use tools to actually make yourself look a bit more polished. Make it that if people are searching for someone with your skills and there's a list of people, you stand out more. You get found more. You create your own opportunity. And the beauty of personal brand, it's yours. So during your career, it goes with you. It is not your organization's. It is yours. So you carry that mantle with you. The investment you make is an investment in yourself. That's great. I love that. You have so many fantastic just little nuggets of takeaways <laughs> that you're sharing there. Um, I love the visual with regards to the image of the nice polished woman and the, the guy sitting at the messy desk and, and that initial judgment that we're making just by a static image. And, and that's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Ian, the purpose of my show is really to help alleviate any fears that anyone has around the word networking. Can you share with our listeners your most successful or favorite networking story that you have? Yeah, and, and I think networking has got a multitude in today's world. Uh, you know, the traditional one is going along to an event and there's loads of strangers there and I don't feel comfortable just walking up and introducing them. So you, so you sort of wait for it to happen and then you, you regret an opportunity. So let, let, what I'll share is, is something that I always cite back to, because I'm of the same, right? Inherently, before in sales, quite shy and I don't feel comfortable at those events walking up to 20 people it's it's in your it's not right regardless that I'm in sales and it's the job when I go to a meeting people expect you to do that so but when you're at an event and there's 30 people do I you know it always feels uncomfortable introducing yourself but what I always go back to is where I went to an event and I sat down to listen to a speaker and I sat next to someone I just started chatting to them I said um what, 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 which bit are you interested in today? Where, where are you from? And it's basic fundamental questions because I sat randomly next to this person. And it turned out they were the European CIO of a major brand organization. And we chatted. And it wasn't trying to sell to them. And it, we watched the first speaker. And I said, that was interesting. Just a bit about that. And hey, what, what do you do? 
And I did it. It was like, well, that's interesting. We're doing something. And it, the conversation naturally just accidentally ended up in the right place to the point that we said, well, we, sh- we should talk after this. That progressed into meetings. That progressed into me selling them across the whole of Europe and then traveling out to the States to meet the global CIO, et cetera. So wow. literally from sitting next to someone. So whenever I now take my, my, you know, my team, whether I'm with them or not, and we go to events, and this is a tip. If you've got a team, whether it be three people or 20 people going to some event and going into these sessions, here's the first tip. Force them to stay away from each other mm-hmm. because we naturally hone to people we know because it's easy. How you doing? Let's get a coffee and you chit chat. You can do that anytime because you work with them. So I always say to them, split up. Guys, let's, you know, split up and sit next different places. Number one. Two, when you come into the next session, even if it's in the same room, don't sit in the same seat, unless they're allocated seats, obviously, but move around. Go and sit next to someone every time. If it's a day's event where there's six sessions, you've got six opportunities potentially to sit between two people. That's 12 new people you'll meet just by where you're sat, let alone the coffee break and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you do that? Because mm-hmm. it's not rude. to. It's natural to chat to the person next to you. And I watch it happen with people that if there's two or three people there, they will – forget your own team, naturally stick together with people they already know. Everyone misses that opportunity. Go and just sit next to someone else and and the conversation will sort of happen because you're sat next to them. And who knows who you're going to meet? My story proves the point, right? And I always think back to that. If I hadn't accidentally done that and had that conversation, that wouldn't have turned into a major client for me for many years um, and of substantial value. But I didn't know that. I didn't sit next to them for that reason. Yeah. So if you sit fair. next to 50 people and you get one opportunity, fantastic. If, you, if you'd sat next to one, your, your, your chances of, of finding that one new prospect. And it could just be a new contact in the industry. It could be there's so many things you, it could create opportunity from, not just business, but you'll never know unless you just step a little bit out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. There's so much truth to that. I like how you opened up with just the kind of being an introvert in sales. You don't always want to go into the room and just start shaking hands with individuals. But I love this story. I love that you, you know, you went in, you sat, you just started a casual conversation with zero expectations. And then it turned into an amazing opportunity because you had common interests and you built trust within the relationship and, here you are having a great story to share. And, and you'll be surprised how many times I've been at events where I've chatted to someone randomly and found, oh, they, I, I don't even know how we got onto it, that they used to live in the village that I live in, but they now live the other side of the country. It's, how does that come out? Oh, my gosh, do you remember such and such? Yeah. Holy moly. How is there are so many coincidences come up if you just open a conversation it's amazing how many times things come up where there is a, a logical connection and the conversation just warms. Mm-hmm. But if you don't start the conversation, you've got zilch chance of that ever happen. All right, Ian, how do you stay in front of or best nurture the relationships that you're creating? Yeah, and I think something I'll cite there is, is the word, and I, I, it was interesting, I've had some expert external coaching recently for my team um, and that's a tip, if anything, that keep learning. Even though I've been doing this a long time, I'm not baked. I'm still learning. And it opened my eyes up to a, a, an awful lot of things that 
I hadn't experienced before. And I sat in with my team on the training and I cited that, guys, even though I've been doing this a long, long time and sales leadership a long time, I didn't know this. I didn't know what I didn't know. And one of those things was around relationship. And it was what the difference between how many times we assume we have a relationship and what we have is rapport. And the example that was given that I thought really highlighted this to make just to start from to make you think is if you walk up to someone on the street and they're pleasant, you know, pleasant smile, and you say, excuse me, have you got the time? They're going to give you the time, right? And, and the, the majority of people would just be friendly if you're friendly back. Now, if that isn't a relationship, it's a little bit of rapport and you haven't asked them for much. So it's a small bit of rapport for a small thing in return. If you do the same and ask for, can I have $10, please? Because I just need $10 because I've got stuck or £10. You'll probably get a totally different answer that you can guess. And the reason is you don't have a relationship with that person and you have very little rapport apart from the smile and saying please and thank you. You don't have enough rapport for what you're asking for. A relationship is something substantial that gives you the right to ask for more, to ask more challenging questions, to ask for more. So if you have a relationship with someone and you ask to borrow £10 or $10, 10 euros, they're going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. there's a big difference. And I think we went a lot more in depth on this and conversation and testing it. And what do you th- And it was an eye opener to how many times do we think we have a relationship where what we have is a rapport because people have been friendly to us um, and people aren't going to be rude to you in a, in a business, uh, uh, right? Unless you're rude in the outset, they are going to be friendly. They are going to smile. They are going to go well and have a conversation. It doesn't mean you've got a relationship. How many times does someone say in sales, oh, I had a, "It was a great meeting. We really got on." Okay, so you had rapport. You haven't earned a relationship. That takes a lot more. There needs to be equity there. How much could you ask that? What? How challenging a customer? question and how open could you ask that client and what could you ask them to do for you right now and that's the test of what whether you have a rapport or how deep a relationship I think and and I think we miss that we assume relationship too quick mm-hmm. yeah I agree with that I think that's really important you, you really need to first build rapport and then investing the time and energy to build a trusting relationship absolutely nice if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> so what I'd say is, uh, which I'm doing now, but always, always learn and be open. I, I think I have more now because of the environment I work in, in cloud technology, you have to be open to change um, and, and, and agility because tech's changing so fast. But to do that in process, I think from the tr- from the coaching training we've just been through, it opened my eyes to we 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 get programmed, and the f- and the longer we do something, we get programmed into this is the way to do it. For example, Bant Scotsman Spin. The number of salespeople said, "Well, yeah, I I I, I use that method, and that's it, uh, and I've got it." And what we've just had done is sort of trying to unprogram some of that. That actually that takes you down a, 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 an alleyway of that everyone, every other salesperson does. We all behave the same. There's a different way of doing some of this stuff out there, but we've become habitual because we've done it for so long. We all behave the same. So in front of a prospective client, 
if they see 10 people, how many of us just behave very similarly? We ask the same questions, we go the same approach, and how boring must that be for them? As opposed to, is there a better way? And that's what I've got my team going through right now of actually, and I, so I put five or six of us in a room, we went through some of this training, and every one of us opened our eyes to, we're all doing it, we're all doing it. None of us have learned this stuff before. This is so, we need to change. There's so many things we don't know in the modern selling world. And I think that's true of so many salespeople out there today. We're following a, an old pattern. And guess what? It's not working. It can't be, Laurie, because I keep reading the statistics globally across industry of, you know, 46% of, of salespeople only achieve target. And all these all the different stats are basically people aren't hitting target. There are exceptions, but in the majority, performance is not delivering, but we're still doing the same old, same old. We have to break the pattern and, ch and change and disrupt some of those old things we were doing because it's not working, right? We can, just do more of it. And I, I hear this all the time when we talk to clients and they talk about uh, using our technology from Natabox alongside Salesforce and and. Not to, I'm going to turn this into a pitch, by the way, but and and they ask us, well, you know, what we're looking for is is ways and a, a technology, a tool that will help our salespeople do more calls. And what I say to them is, it's not more calls you want, it's more results. But I'm guessing what you've worked out is to get X appointments or X and get customer solid conversations. It it takes this many calls. And it you know they've worked out backwards that we need to get through to this many people and, and this percentage of that many conversations will end up in a sale or a meeting. Therefore, we need to do more calls. And what I've said is you're turning the wrong dial. You need to think, because at what point does it break that you say, I need each of my people to do 400 calls a day, 500? You know, they say, well, we're doing 70. We need them to do 85 calls a day on average to be able to, the metrics. Well, what happens when it's 90, 100, 120? You're adjusting the wrong dial. There are different things you can adjust, but what you're adjusting is the traditional lever of numbers game and just activity. And we need to relate to pro productivity and efficiency to get to the goal. You want to make sale. You want to have a meeting. You want to, you know, the, the, the end of that funnel activity, there is not a direct cor correlation back to number of calls. Correlation isn't necessary causation, but that's the approach everyone's taking. And all that does is cause lots of activity. Sales is a number game, puts lots of pressure on salespeople to be driven by old KPIs and metrics. And fundamentally, it's not working any longer how it used to. Wow. Yeah, I agree with that. That's really great. I love that you are investing in your team to one, continue learning, but two, to evolve their methodology around getting new business. I think, I think it's essential. You have to, and mm -hmm. um, you know, you, otherwise what we've got is where a position where the customer, the buyer, the prospective client has changed in the way they behave and the way they look at who they're going to partner with, who they're going to purchase from, and we haven't. Nice. Thank you, Ian. All right. Any final word or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? 
So I think the, the t key to that, and this has been talked about many times, it's about engagement. It's about providing value. What, what everyone's looking for is insight. You know, and customers are looking for insight. They're not looking for product information and all this stuff. They're looking for, how, you know, every business has got its challenges. What can you add value to? To that business and it isn't your product or service that that's a byproduct of your engagement um, and it might solve a problem but what they're looking for is how do i increase my net promoter score how do i improve customer experience how do i improve the close ratios um, how do i improve the manufacturing efficiency whatever it is in their metrics the dials in their business that will make them more successful more competitive more attractive in their market and whatever they do, how can you adjust that? And they're looking for insight to, well, what's other people always love to hear? Well, what are other people doing? Like we're doing on here, right? Yep. And I listen yep. to things like this of what are other sales leaders doing? What, what am I missing? What don't I know? And it's not about a product. It might end up being about a technology or product or a service as the byproducts of the conversation. And I sat, funnily enough, I was with a, another sales leader today and if you're with a peer, you have conversations around, well, I found this, my, in my experience, this has happened, because we've all been on different journeys and experiences. Well, what insight can you give to someone like you? What insight can you give to a prospective customer? Because perhaps you've met with 30 other businesses, and they may not be exactly in their industry or exactly like them, but you've heard and discussed with peers like them of what their challenges are. What value can you bring to them that they don't know that this mm -hmm. is some of the challenges your industry and sector is facing and this is some of the uh, approaches that people are taking to try and resolve it and this is one of the things coming down the line as a regulate something that gives them insight and value and that's what you know one of the things that hopefully i did today in the meeting i had today was talked around i'm involved in a number of leading sales bodies and independent bodies and organizations and judging well, that was a value I brought to this individual around, well, I, I can coach you through that. I can talk about that. That's not what we do in our product, but that's a personal value that I can give to that individual that can help them in their day-to-day -day job and build. And that's where I think you can help build, go from rapport and step towards relationship because you're giving them something. If someone came to me and said, Ian, here's five tips that we're, I've learned and, I don't, and three of them, I'd never heard of before and I grabbed them and oh my gosh that's really brilliant I'm going to remember that individual has done something for me and given me value that now becomes value of me I love it I love it I think insights are more is are extremely powerful and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've seen that trend as well and I think that's fantastic advice to, to kind of wrap it up with. So Ian if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you what is the best way that they can reach you? Sure. Thank you for that, Laurie. And I'll give you two. And there's a personal branding tip here that's very low cost. So if you go to ianmoyce.co.uk, I-A-N-M-O-Y-S-E, or ianmoyce.cloud, so nice and easy to remember, they will take you straight to my LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. So I've just yeah. put a friendly URL in front of it that I can rattle off like this without having, without letting an audience or, uh, you know, get, without saying, go to Twitter and search for this. Why should you have to search? Go to that URL, it will take you straight to my profile. Oh, that's great. We'll include that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Laurie, thank you, and thanks to anyone that listens.
Absolutely. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Ian for taking the time to connect with us. If you want to continue the conversation on networking and building our community, join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash social capital network. If you need me, send an email to Lori at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.